0: La, 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 la. I can sing. I can dance. No, I won't dance. Good. All right. Where, where were we? All right. Good morning. Thank you for joining us. I will designate myself uh, on behalf of the staff just to say uh, thank you very much uh, for all the notes, all the cards, uh, all the encouragement that you sent our way during this month. I don't know if it's because of COVID this year or quite what it was, but I just, I found that all the encouraging notes this year just were extra special uh, to me and just uh, encouraging my heart. So again, just appreciate you all so much. So thank you from the bottom of our hearts on behalf of myself and the staff, uh, just for the way you appreciated us this, uh, this last month and all through the year as well. Um, so a couple of announcements on this very special day. It's Reformation Day. Uh, For those who don't know, it's maybe kind of a pastor nerd thing. But uh, yes, today is the day that Martin Luther, back in like 1517 or something, like 400 years ago, he nailed his thesis to the wall of the church saying, we probably should change the way we're doing things. And the Reformation started. And we got the five solas of the Reformation. uh, Sola being Latin for the onlys. Do we anybody know any of the onlys of the Reformation? Yeah. Sola Scriptura by Scripture alone. Yeah, fide uh, faith alone. Grace alone. We don't know what grace is in Latin. Yep. Uh, glory of God alone, and and by Christ alone. So yeah, so that's what. Which is a pretty yeah. Well done. All right, choose a new category. All right. <laughs> Oh, yeah, grace alone, faith alone, by Christ alone, to the glory of God alone, uh, by Scripture alone, which is a pretty good foundation for a church uh, when you really think about it. So special day, but a couple of announcements uh, just to let you know about, if you want to look in your bulletin, a couple of things. Uh, We sent out a survey as a church not too long ago. It came as an email. Uh, You can also go to the website, uh, northgatebaptist.ca, and complete it there. We're just encouraging people to fill that out. Um, just gives us a little bit more information on how people are accessing the church services, accessing the the website, all those kind of things. Uh, So again, we just would really encourage you to fill that out. Uh, It'll help us a lot in in sort of some of our planning uh, moving forward. We are also, as a church, planning a concert of prayer. Uh, Just the time we're going to gather, we're going to pray, we're going to reflect, we're going to just sing songs of praise. Uh, It's going to be a wonderful evening. Uh, That's going to take place here at the church November 12th at 7 p.m. So please join us that as we just seek the will of God together as a church. Uh, We also, this Friday... I'm Pastor Mark, the associate pastor here. For those of you who might not know, I'm so grateful
1: that... Pastor Mark has afforded me the opportunity to share the Word of God with you this morning. Wasn't the worship team great this morning? They did an awesome job. Thank you so much. Uh, when they sing the goodness of God, I just sort of have to stand still and uh, because, you know, I don't want to fog up too much, and I just recognize how good, how good God is and how good He has been to us um, even in, in the recent um, recent history, uh, bringing us here to Edmonton and to this church. And we have felt so loved and welcomed by you. And uh, the goodness of God just overwhelms me sometimes. And uh, Pastor Mark, I'm, I'm glad that it was you who went through the uh, points of the Reformation this morning. I haven't thought about that for a long time. When she started saying the Latin words, I would have been like, uh, yeah, I think that's probably one of them. You know, I... I didn't remember the Latin word, so that was pretty impressive uh, this morning. And I was glad that he gave that quiz, and it wasn't me. If you want to turn in your Bibles this morning, I'm going to continue in the, the book of Philippians that Pastor Mark is going through. <clears throat> and we're in chapter 2. My voice is a little bit rough this morning. I think it's me adapting to the environment of Edmonton, the new dry air and whatnot. So, uh, you know, you get other things other than COVID these days, you know, so it's not that. It's probably just, you know, the environment that I'm trying to get used to. Um, so if I take a little bit of a drink once in a while, that's probably why. We're in Philippians 2, beginning in verse 19. Uh, we're looking at a couple of good examples. You know, it's, uh, it's really difficult in our world today, I find, uh, to find really good role models. Um, when, when, you, when you look around at society, you say, like, who, who is it uh, in, in society today that I could really look at as a, as a good role model outside of the church? Uh, in society. Um, there, there, there are so many bad role models that it's, it's difficult sometimes to be able to think about somebody as, as being a model, somebody that I could say, I would like to uh, pattern my life uh, the way they live their lives. Uh, it's thrilling, however, to see when there are those who rise above the crowd, is it not? it 's thrilling to see people who who rise above uh, the the crowd of immorality the the crowd of liars and cheaters, the crowd of the hard hearted against god there there 's not very many of them they 're few and far between, but if you look carefully, you can find them i uh, this week, I was just trying to think about people that might be good role models that we that people could follow after and you may agree or not agree with some of the names that I'm going to suggest this morning, but, but I thought of uh, Tim Tebow, and he was a previous NFL football quarterback uh, who uh, oftentimes, whenever he made a good play, he would take a knee. And he would, he would point heavenward and bow his head in thanksgiving to God, a committed Christian. And, and the, oh man, the media just went after him for, uh, you know, his, his views on, on Christ and God and, 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 and bringing attention to God. And that kneeling became known as T-bowing, by the way. And, and he was criticized for what he did. And yet, He lived out his faith. He was committed to Christ, and he is committed to Christ and continues to serve him today. Or I think of Billy Graham. Billy Graham was often um, criticized for his methodology in evangelism for example he would allow certain certain religious groups sit on the stage uh, with him uh, during a crusade it was a methodology of of trying to get people to come uh, who 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 would not know christ and to share the gospel with them but he was he was terribly criticized oftentimes and some groups ostracized him Uh, completely because of it. But Billy Graham always maintained financial and moral and spiritual integrity, and he was considered as the pastor of America. Or how about Sarah Palin? Former governor of Alaska, vice presidential running mate of John McCain, 2008. Regardless of what you think about her politics, she was always very open about her Christian faith. And for that, she was strongly targeted by the media and the left for her conservative religious views. Or or I think of the company, Chick-fil-A, a Christian company with Christian ideals who have been criticized for their stance on Christian values and, and, and yet their statement of purpose says, quote, we exist to glorify God by being a faithful steward of all that is entrusted to us to have a positive influence on all who come into contact with Chick-fil-A. And, and the chain has risen to the third largest uh, fast food chain in the U.S. and has tripled its annual sales over the past decade. Role models. There are others, I'm sure, but those are just a few examples of good role models that I could think of, of the Christian faith, those who rose above the crowd. Every, everyone should have a good role model. People that we admire, people that we look up to, people who are living the way that that we think that we would like to be living. People who are exemplifying a Christ-like attitude in the way they live. When Barbara and I were raising our three boys. Boy, I feel really loud this morning, sound, sound team. So if you just turn me down a hair, it's because I might get excited this morning. <laughs> when Barbara and I were raising our three boys, <clears throat> I had an associate pastor who was 10 years my senior. Just a, just a godly man and his wife. And they were raising two boys and two girls. And, uh, our, and, and they were in, getting into their teen years in those days. In fact, I, I performed the marriage, the wedding for, uh, for his, one of his daughters and, and, uh, her, her husband and, and, and all those kids are living for, for the Lord today. And, and so oftentimes we would say, well, how would Gordon and Joanne do that? Right? How, we would look, look to them as, as role models for raising our children because we just appreciated how their children were being raised and, and the discipline and how they did that and, and the love they showed. And, and they were just wonderful role models to us as we were raising our children. But all role models don't have to be people that we know personally, do they? For example, you can, you can find a role model in, and maybe a book that you read, the author of that book, or maybe a book that talks about somebody else as, as, as a person that you could follow. For example, as a very young preacher back in the 80s, uh, I appreciated Chuck's, Charles Swindoll. Um, and and I remember we went, I was an intern in my church in the state of Oregon. I was just a young butt wet behind the ears, and we I didn't know what I was doing, and I was leading the youth ministry there, and we took a road trip to California to go to a conference, some kind of a conference, leadership conference or something in California for I think we were there for a weekend, and all the way down, uh, our pastor we had my pastor and two other associate pastors and myself were in the in the vehicle and uh, the pastor had cassette tapes remember those remember cassette tapes he had a whole series of cassette tapes by Charles Swindoll I'd never heard of him before and uh, he he put those in and he was talk he was a whole series on King David I was just mesmerized from Oregon to California Listening to Charles Swindoll, I can, I still remember a lot of what he said to this day. And that was back in, whoa, that was in the 70s. I'm sorry. Now I'm really aging myself. <laughs> and, and so I, he became somewhat of a role model in terms of, his preaching for me. I, I've learned a great deal uh about leadership from John Maxwell and have attended several of his leadership conferences and have read many of his books and and I and I read biographies from great missionaries like Hudson Taylor and William Carey and Amy Carmichael, which motivated me in my own personal walk and commitment to the Lord and in serving the Lord. Now, if you were to walk up to any one of those people that I've mentioned or organizations, and and sort of gave them a pat on the back and said how great they are, they would probably be very humble, and, and they would probably not look at themselves with any kind of pride. Uh, but but they but they were just they're just people living right. They're they're doing the right things. They're living the right way. We need role models. People who are just doing the right thing, doing a good job, living. People that are living for God in such a way that we can say, I want to be like that. Do you have somebody like that? You say, I'd like to be like that. They're hard to find. In our passage today, Paul is giving us two good role models to follow. If you can't find anyone else, well, look at these guys. Remember that earlier in the passage that Pastor Mark actually preached on uh, in chapter 2, Paul told us in verse 5 to have the same mind as that of Christ Jesus. And that's good, and that's so important, but maybe when you heard that verse, you thought to yourself, the same attitude of Jesus? Really? Are you kidding me? Like, he's perfect. He's God. Come on. I could never be like Jesus. That's, that's just too big of a stretch for me. And, and I would agree that that's quite a stretch, even though God does call us to be like Christ Jesus. And He's given us the Holy Spirit that would enable us to be that. But in this passage, maybe in Paul's mind, he was, he was not even thinking along these terms. And yet in his talking about these two men, Timothy and Epaphroditus, Uh, they become human role models for us. You say, I don't know if I could like, say Jesus is my role model, although we want him to be. I'm not saying that he's not. We're just saying it's so hard to be like Jesus. Maybe if that's too much of a stretch for you, then then we can go to these human role models. And maybe that's a little bit more appetizing to us because they're men just like we are. They're, they're people with weaknesses and failures and and uh, they i 'm sure they didn 't do it all right all the time but but they 're people who were attempting to live like Jesus and we say, "I think I could probably do that I think I could probably live like that and so today, let me introduce you to these men, Timothy and Epaphroditus um, People, two guys who I think have become really great role models. I've never preached on this passage. I was looking at it and I was thinking, come on, Pastor Mark, give me a good one, you know? I mean, it was, it was kind of di- until I kind of wrapped my head around this passage and thought, this is a beautiful passage that really spoke to my own heart about, about what it means to live Christ like. We love opening the book and, and reading about Jesus, but, but what, but what trips us up sometimes is that we need some human examples. And so Paul gives us that in this passage. Let's begin with Timothy, who is a wonderful example of an unselfish or a selfless servant. We're going to begin in verse 19. I hope, therefore, to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with him. And I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself may come also. I want you to notice how how genuinely Timothy cared for people. Now, remember that Timothy is a convert of the Apostle Paul. And he went on. To be Paul's companion as Paul went on missionary journeys and, and he helped him in so many ways in planting new churches along the way. His name, by the way, means one who honors God. And I love that. Our, our first son's middle name is Timothy, Ryan Timothy, one who honors God. And I think this Timothy portrays or he fulfills, uh, the, 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 uh, The definition of his name so well. In fact, Timothy helped plant the church at Philippi. And then he stayed on to help to train some people to carry on the work there before he went on to plant other churches on his own and with the Apostle Paul. But the question is why would he do that? Why would Timothy do that? I mean, why? Why would he leave a good job, a good secure job, nine to five, pretty good salary, good benefits, good retirement plan, some time off, time on the weekends to be able to spend with his family and 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 throw frisbee with the dog and and mow the lawn and and watch football at night? I mean, why? Why? Why would Timothy give all of that up to travel all over the known world and plant churches and be subjected to the hardships that that he was subjected to? I'll tell you why. Because Jesus got a hold of his heart. And that's why anyone who is sold out to Jesus does what they do sacrificially for God, because God gets a hold of their heart. God got a hold of his heart. And then maybe, maybe he read Philippians chapter two, or maybe the apostle Paul told him about Philippians chapter two of Jesus who gave up his equality with God and emptied himself for mankind through death on a cross to save us from our sins. And Timothy didn't just read those words as words from the page and and nice words about a great man, but rather he took those words onto himself thinking that if Jesus did that for him, then he should be willing to give his life for others. You see, he let Jesus set the boundaries of his life because he saw Jesus as the kind of Lord who could be trusted. And this is the kind of model that, that we need in our lives today. Uh, well, let's look at some of the characteristics of this servant, this great selfless servant. I want you to notice, first of all, that he puts others' needs above his own needs in verse 20, we read, Paul said, For I have no one like him who will be genuine, genuinely concerned for your welfare. And that, that word genuinely carries the idea of a birthright. Do you remember that, that Esau gave up his birthright for a, a bowl of, of stew? The birthright was very, very important. It meant that the firstborn, he would kind of get it all. Like he, he had the birthright. He had the first of everything. Timothy wasn't just serving God out of an obligation or a duty. He wasn't just checking off. You know, uh, a a service on his checklist of things to do. Okay, well, I got that over with. You know, okay, I did that. It wasn't that kind of a thing, but he wasn't just he wasn't just trying to uh, you know uh, fulfill some kind of an obligation, but rather he served alongside Paul as a responsibility to given to him as a birthright from Jesus. He was committed to people because he was committed to Jesus. And because Jesus cares, Timothy cared. In fact, the phrase concerned for, it's the same word used for worry over in Philippians chapter four, and verse six, where he says, be anxious for nothing or don't worry about anything. Some translations say now the Bible says that we shouldn't worry about anything, right? So you go, oh, wait a minute. He, he was, so he must have been sinning. No, no, no. The, the word, the word worry and those other passages is, is from a, is from an old word that literally means to choke. And so worry literally chokes you. It, It inhibits you from being what God wants you to be. But this word, worry, is within the context of caring for, being concerned for. Now, And there's a difference. There's a fine line of difference between worrying and being concerned for. We should be concerned for people without crossing the line of worry and allowing those burdens of other people to choke our own lives. It's a fine line, but it's one that we need to be walking. We we need to, to be concerned. We need to care about people. But then as we care about people, what we do is we take those cares. We help to lift the care. The, the Bible says we, we need to come alongside and unburden people, enable them to be unburdened. And then what we do, we don't we don't say, Oh, okay, I'm gonna carry that for you, and then we get No, no, no. What we do is the Bible says, cast all your cares upon who? Jesus, because he cares for you. So we help to unburden them and we cast those burdens onto Jesus so that we are not burdened with the burdens of others. Does that make sense? We're to care in that kind of a way for people. Timothy genuinely cared for people. Is that a characteristic of our own? Do we genuinely care for people? There's a second characteristic of a servant, and that is that he puts Christ's interests first. In verse 21, he says, for they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. Now, who is he talking about? Well, Paul is not talking about his other co-workers, but rather he's kind of making a general observation about a lot of people. And, and when you stop, stop to think about it, isn't it true that there are a lot of people who do not put Christ's interests first in our world today? Most people are looking out for number one, are they not? In fact, uh, one author of a song kind of sums up the world's thinking about how they view life Uh, When he wrote these words, I found out every trick in the book and that there's only one way to get things done. I found out the only way to the top its looking out for number one. I mean you, looking out for number one. Uh, That's us looking out for number one. That's me, I'm looking out for number one. And although we don't agree with the sentiment of what that song is saying, we have to agree that sometimes... That's us looking out for number one. Doesn't matter what somebody else likes. It, it doesn't matter what somebody else wants. It doesn't matter what somebody else needs. I, I know what I like. I know what I want. I know what I need. And I'm going to push for that because, because it's my want. It's my like. It's my need. And I don't care what anybody else thinks. We don't say that out loud, but we say that with our actions. Looking out for number one. And then if you don't agree with what I want and what I like and what I think I need, well, I'm gonna think of a name to call you. (laughs) I'm gonna call you, you know, self-centered. I'm gonna call you stubborn. I'm gonna call you prejudiced. I'm gonna call you uncaring, not stopping to realize that the words that we've just called somebody else are pointing right back at ourselves, that we're the ones who are stubborn, uncaring, See what I'm saying? We need to be careful along this line. We need to put Christ's interests first. I'm not saying it's always easy. Let's just be careful not to let other people's needs dictate our lives in Christ Jesus, however. Paul said, they all seek their own interests. That's not those of Jesus Christ. What a sad commentary on life. They they were seeking their own interests, their own desires. John Calvin noted they were so warm in pursuing their own interests that they were cold in the work of the Lord. In verses 10 and 11, it says there will be a day when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God. But until that day, an awful lot of people are pretty much looking out for number one we need to be careful about that don't we we need to check our own motives we need to check our own hearts to see that we aren't simply put our putting our own interests first another characteristic of a servant is that he proves himself in the work of Christ in verse 22 he goes on to say but you know Timothy's proven worth How as a son with a father, he has served with me in the gospel. I hope therefore to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. And I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will be able to come also. Timothy had proven himself in the work of Christ. You know, oftentimes when people get a new job, uh, they'll they'll be put on kind of a probationary period. Anybody ever had that happen to you? Sure, sure. You know what I'm talking about then. They, they say, we're gonna give you a certain amount of time. We're gonna give you three months, let's say. We're gonna give you three months. And we're gonna see how it works out, right? We're, are you faithful? Are, are you showing up on time? Are, are you doing the work? Are you just a flash in the pan? You know, you have one good idea and then you fade. <laughs> Are you, are you sleeping at your desk? Or are you just watching, looking at Facebook all day? Are, are you doing the job? Are you being productive? Are, are you of value to the company? And then after three months, if they deem that you have not put in the time, you're not valuable, you're not doing the work, you can't do the work, well, bye-bye. Go look for another job. In the time that Timothy traveled with and ministered alongside of Paul... He was on a probationary period and he was deemed to be found faithful and reliable. He was a faithful servant. Weak in and weeked out. He, he proved himself to be a faithful worker of Christ. And so Paul said of him in verse 22, as a son with a father, he has served with me in the gospel. Now he's talking about the days when a son would go out and he would work alongside of his father as kind of an apprentice. And so maybe he was a blacksmith, and the father would teach him the trade. He would say, here's the metal, and here's how you fire it, and here's how you hammer it. Or if he was in the field, he would say, here's how you plow the field. Here's how you sow the seed. Here's how you take care of the livestock. And he was an apprentice, and he would come up under his father, and he would take on the trade of his father. That's what Paul is referring to here. And Paul says, Timothy was a great apprentice, He served alongside of me. But now I want you to notice that he did not say that Timothy served me, but rather it says that Timothy served with me. Now they become partners in the gospel. Together, they're both serving Christ. And I think that's how we ought to be looking at serving Christ as the body of Christ. One person isn't more important than another person, but everyone has a role to feel. I've always feel very uncomfortable standing up front and saying, yeah, he's great, you know, yeah, people clap for me. I think, no, 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 I I should be sitting down there with you and we clap for each other. (laughs) That's how I feel about it we we are because we're servants together everyone has a role everyone has a gift everyone has an ability and as we come alongside we all pull a certain part of the weight together it's the body of Christ it's not one person in Christ serving everyone else or they serving them but rather it's one it's 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 a complete oneness our service should not be for the, the sake of making ourselves feel happy or, or ourselves feel fulfilled. We, we shouldn't say, well, I didn't, I, that didn't make me feel very good. So I'm not going to do that anymore. Right. No, 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 no. It's, it's not about how you feel. It's about the value that we add to whatever that we put our hands to in serving the Lord. And every hand is, is important. Our, our goal is not to fulfill our own needs, but rather simply to glorify God in whatever we do. And there's no task that is menial or great. All tasks are great in God's economy. Every task is important. And Timothy is a wonderful role model for us to follow in this regard. I wonder how many of those have you identified in yourself as Great characteristics. If not, just take some time and, and ponder that and think about that and say, Lord, would you instill those characteristics in me? And maybe confess where you have fallen short of those characteristics in your own life, even as I have this week. Another role model that I want to draw your attention to is Epaphroditus, who is an example of a suffering saint. <coughs> Excuse me. Epaphroditus was a Philippian believer. He belonged to the church at Philippi. Um, He had been sent to Rome to minister to Paul when he was in prison. Now, now Paul was going to send Timothy to the Philippians as soon as he knew more about his own situation. But before he sent Timothy, he still wanted to send this letter to the Philippians to encourage them. And the man that he chose to send back to the Philippian church was this man, Epaphroditus. Whereas Timothy is a great example of a selfless servant, uh, Epaphroditus becomes a role model of a suffering servant. Now, you'll recall in verses 27 to 30, we find out that Epaphroditus nearly died. He got an illness of some sort. And so when Paul sends him back to the Philippian church, Paul honors him. And we see some principles to follow in this role model. First of all, we see that serving Christ never exempts us from suffering, serving Christ does not exempt us from trouble. We begin in verse 25. And 26. I have thought it necessary to send you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier and your messenger and minister to my need. For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. The, The problem with reading somebody else's mail is that sometimes you don't know the context. And so it's hard to figure out what's going on, and, and so let me just help you with that. When the Christians at Philippi heard that Paul was in prison in Rome, uh, they they raised up an offering in Philippi, and they said, Epaphroditus, we want you to go and deliver this offering to Paul, because you see, when you were a prisoner in, in any kind of prison in the ancient world, and in Rome, uh, the... The government didn't take care of your needs like he didn't have a television in his cell and, you know, he didn't have a nice comfy couch and they they didn't feed him three meals a day and 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 they, they didn't take care of him when he got sick because it was chilly and drafty and cold in that dungeon. But but people had to take care of his needs. People took care of family needs. And so they sent Epaphroditus with this love gift, an offering, and Epaphroditus stayed on for a while to assist Paul in whatever way that he could while he was there in prison. Now, this was a risk for Epaphroditus because you see, Paul had been, had been, um, had been accused of a capital punishment, a capital crime. So in Epaphroditus going and helping him, Uh, he was in risk of being accused of the same crime. So it was a big deal for him to go. Now, while he was at Rome, he got sick. We don't know what kind of a sickness that he got, for sure, but some historians have speculated that he may have fallen ill with the notorious Roman fever that sometimes swept through the city. I've read that some people may some people think that it may have even been malaria. And some people even go so far as to say that malaria may have been one of the factors that led to the fall of the Roman Empire. It was so serious. We don't know for sure. It's speculation. But God spared the life of Epaphroditus. He had a sickness that was so serious that he should have died from it. But God raised him up from his sick sp- sickbed. And now he's anxious to get back to the, the, the uh, believers in Philippi because they were anxious to see him. They, they loved him so much that they wanted to receive him back. At, now, think of the kind of guy he must have been, that they were so anxious and so worried and concerned about him. He was sick, and now they want to see him again. Now, maybe that helps us to see why Paul made certain statements about Epaphroditus that he made, and I don't have time this morning to, to go over all of them. In fact, I'm probably over time now, but let me just give you an example. He calls him brother, not just friend, but brothers in Christ. We're seeing a lot of division in our world today, are we not? And even in the church of Jesus Christ. And you know, the first century church, they, they face the same kinds of divisions that we face today, political and racial and, and ethnic. But the gospel, when the gospel gets into a person's heart, the gospel makes a change and he turns us into a family. And in a family... Our differences are erased or overlooked for the sake of Christ. And now we can worship God and serve God together as one. No matter our race, our ethnic background, our color of our skin, our language. We are family in God. Paul saw Epaphroditus as a brother. And oftentimes we'll, we'll say to each other, Hello, brother. Hello, sister. That's not just a name. That's a reference to our unity in Christ. In the midst of this brotherhood, we see these family members, Paul and Epaphroditus, who are suffering together. You see, just because we serve the Lord doesn't mean that we are exempt from hardship. It doesn't mean that we may not face financial difficulty or that we'll never get sick or that we won't suffer any tragedies in life. In fact, history is is full of those kinds of examples. Just read some of the biographies of the great missionaries of the past who went on the foreign field and suffered all kinds of hardship, losing family members and getting sick. and And it was horrible for some of them. The Christian life is rooted in the cross. No cross, no Christianity. Jesus died on a cross. He suffered on a cross so that we might know forgiveness from sin today. We also see the example of how burdens bring joy. In verse 27, we read, "'Indeed, he was ill, near to death, "'but God had mercy on him, "'and not only on him, but also on me.'" Lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow... I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again and that I may, may be less anxious. In verse 26, when it says he has been distressed because he heard that he was ill, that word distress is the strongest of three Greek words used in the Bible for sorrow and distress. And as a matter of fact, the, the only other place in the, in the New Testament where this particular Greek word for distress is used is when Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane. That's how strong of a word it was. Now, here's the amazing part. (laughs) Epaphroditus was not distressed because he was sick, but he was distressed because he heard that the Philippians were distressed because he was sick. You see, he was more concerned about the Philippians than he was even about himself. That's the kind of man he was. Ministry increases our burdens along with our joys. You might not see the connection, but let me try to help you. Verse 27. Indeed, he was ill, near to death, but God had mercy on him, not only on him, but also on me, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. You see, Epaphroditus had this illness that should have taken his life, but God had mercy on him. God healed him. And Paul said that it was not only mercy on Epaphroditus, but it was also mercy on me that spared me of more sorrow. And so Paul continues in verse 28. I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again and that I may be less anxious. As much as Paul loved Epaphroditus and maybe as much as Paul needed Epaphroditus, he was eager for him to go back to Philippi for their sake because why? He knew that Epaphroditus would bring them more joy and that he would be a greater ministry to them. And there's an example of a servant of Christ putting others' needs above his own. And in the end, everyone found joy. Now, the last two verses, it really draws things together for us and helps us with a nice, neat application. I wish I had time to unpack that this morning. Let me just give you the brief outline. Verse 29. So receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor such men, for he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. I see three applications. I'll give them to you quickly. First, was a joyful reception. Notice he says, receive him in the Lord. How do we receive somebody with joy? We receive them in the Lord. Why? Because sometimes our joy is lacking, but the joy of the Lord is never lacking. So our hope, our, 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 our greatness in life is not found in my own joy, but in the joy of the Lord. The joy of the Lord is my strength. The second application deals with honor. Paul said, honor such men. In other words, encourage him. He's not flattering him, but he's talking about what God had done through him by the Holy Spirit. And he said, honor the Holy Spirit for what God had done through him. He said, encourage him. How many of you know of anybody who is too encouraged? Too encouraged. No, I'm not gonna, you don't need encouraged, like, you're way too encouraged. <laughs> nah, I'm not going to encourage you. You like, you had too much encouragement this week, right? Anybody, anybody experience that? No, no. I, I think we live in an, in, in an age of encouragement drought. You know, people are, people are shriveling up for lack of encouragement. And Paul says, encourage him. And we have to encourage one another. The third application deals with care. Francis Schaeffer once said, if we do not, if we do not show beauty in the way we treat each other, then in the eyes of the world and in the eyes of our own children, we are destroying the truth we proclaim. Wow. Have you noticed how care kind of flows through this entire passage? He and Timothy care about the Philippians as they care about them. Paul is anxious and concerned about Epaphroditus. The Philippian church is caring about Paul and Epaphroditus. We love opening the pages of Philippians too and reading the great theology about Jesus and what he did for us. But do we understand the kind of people that makes us into? Do we understand the kind of joyful reception and honor and deep care we're to give one another in Jesus' name because of that great theology? how dignifying, how humanizing it is to be cared for and to care for one another. And Timothy and Epaphroditus were two great godly examples of Christ-like servants who make excellent models for us to follow today. Timothy, a great example of selfless servitude. Epaphroditus, a great example of a suffering servant. And they show us that to stay Others-centered, we must stay Christ-centered because he's our ultimate example. Do you know him? Do you know Christ as your savior? Those who are listening online, do you know Christ as your savior today? If not, he's the reason, he's the hope, he's the way, the truth, and the life. You see, you can never care well until you experience Jesus' care. And you can't experience Jesus' care until you know him as your personal savior. And as we pray this morning, you can ask him to be your savior and enter into this wonderful relationship with him where he cares for you and enables you to be the kind of person he wants you to be. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for these two godly examples that we can model our lives after. I pray, Lord, that if there is somebody here today who has never received Christ as our Savior, as the ultimate model, that they will bow their knee to you. For someday, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess Christ as Savior. But for some, it will be too late to enter into an eternity with Him. And I pray for those listening today that they will take that opportunity to receive you as Savior today. And you can simply say a prayer like this, Lord Jesus, I am a sinner. I believe you died on a cross for my sin. You paid the punishment that I deserve. I receive the free gift of eternal life. Come into my heart. Make me your child. I want you to be my Lord and my King. And we pray, Lord, that you will do this in Jesus' name. If you receive Christ as your Savior today, please let us know. We'd like to encourage you. We'd like to give you some information and a Bible and help you to grow in your relationship with Christ. Amen. Thank you so much, Pastor Mark. Let's stand as we sing together.